Welcome to All About HR. I'm your host, Tom Horn, and I'm on a journey to learn about all things HR. I'm documenting my conversations with thought leaders, HR professionals, and real employees about everything from recruiting, workplace of the future, benefits, you name it. We're all about HR. Let's go. Welcome back to All About HR. This is your host, Tom Horn. I am learning all about HR with a really, really exciting guest today. Jeffrey Shapiro will be joining us. He is the first guest from my hashtag HR community that I've met on Twitter. And I just have to say that if you're on Twitter, if you do anything on social, that's really what's inspired me doing this podcast. The community, I've literally in the last year met thousands of people on this HR community on Twitter. And all the conversations, all the learning, all the sharing is what really inspired me to to do this podcast and start documenting my journey. And Jeffrey is going to be the first guest we have joining us from that community. So Jeffrey Shapiro, is, he's an experienced talent acquisition leader, believes in challenging the status quo. Professional philosophy is rooted in possessing a bias to action in conjunction with anticipation of customer needs. Having spent 15 years in healthcare from startup to large publicly traded organizations, his passion is people, strategic thinking, and decision making. He's a co-founder of HR on the House, a people-centric panel that goes live via Clubhouse every Friday at noon. Really excited to welcome Jeff to the show. How are you doing today, Jeff? How are you, Tom? Couldn't agree more about the HR community, by the way. Home run on where it brought us and this conversation actually happening from a simple hashtag. Yeah, it's uh, it's. I, I didn't even know it existed until I did, and I literally... Ch- I deleted my entire account and started from scratch, just building off that hashtag, uh, believe it or not. So it's uh, it's awesome. It's great to have met you there. Same, especially, so it's funny, like when you think about the hashtag, I think it's one of the major positives for me professionally that's come out of living through what we are still living through with the global pandemic and the world of work at one point coming to a halt. Like the world of recruitment stopped, layoffs, furloughs, stop all recruiting. And everybody was looking just, for any sort of community, who feels what I'm feeling? Like, how are you dealing with this? What are you doing? And we all just gravitated towards each other. There are some really brilliant open source people out there that are in our world. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So I I joined this community uh, after the pandemic. How long have you been following that hashtag? How long have you been connected with the folks in this community? Is it really, and how has it grown since you joined? So my... I was an observer. I was a lurker, a stalker, like a, a fanboy <laughs> of the Lars Schmidt, the Steve Browns, you know, all the Lori Rudiman, all the heavy hitters in our world. I was just a lurker. I was never brave enough to at message or reach out or ask for a conversation. Just a pure fanboy who would just listen. Then randomly, you just started meeting and talking to. At, at some point, I think I tweeted like a career aspiration goal was to be on HR social hour. And John reached out saying, let's talk. We had a talk. He's like, we'd like to have you on the show. And then from there, I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm all in. And I am not a shy person at all. COVID hit us for a lot of things. George Floyd, Black Lives Matter. Like it, it was just everything lined up almost at the right time. So terrible things happened, allowed for some people who were quiet to finally speak up and not bury our head in the sand. Yep, absolutely. I mean, COVID was one of the worst things to happen in my lifetime, but silver lining, it pushed 
a lot of communities together. It pushed a lot of evolution, especially in the digital uh, workplace. Uh, if you listen to my last podcast or if you literally go on any sort of conversation, that's a big, uh, a big positive result. So it's good to see we're both impacted there. Now, I can see you, you know, you and I have video, but the listeners can't. You said the word home run a little bit ago. Tell, tell everyone what you're wearing and how you're feeling about uh, uh, the sport of baseball right now as we speak. <laughs> so I, um, most who are engaged in social know because I am outwardly transparent, but baseball is in my genes. It's in my DNA. I was probably born with a bat in my hand. Baseball is part of my family. Um, I'll try and make a long story short, but I am a lifelong diehard Atlanta Braves fan. Game one of the World Series, as we are recording today, 1026, is tonight. Uncle Charlie is on the hill in Houston. Um, what I am wearing is a Braves t-shirt and then a long sleeve Under Armour Braves three button down hoodie because I am ready to go. Um, as you and I are talking, I am the winner of a bet with our friend Gary Olive. Gary is out at the mall in LA looking for a Braves hat <laughs> so he could wear it and make his profile picture a Braves hat with him wearing it for the duration of the World Series because my Braves beat his Dodgers. So yeah, I'm ready to go for tonight. The long story short is my father is a hardcore Met fan. Uh, Dale Murphy was my childhood idol. My first in-person baseball game was the Braves at Shea Stadium. Dwight Gooden on the hill, and I got to witness Dale Murphy fence Dwight Gooden twice. So bring it back to wow. the home run. Um, based on my age demographically, everybody could remember Ted Turner used to own the Braves. The Braves were on TV routinely on TBS or TBS. TBS. So pre-internet, I got to watch the Braves regularly, so it just made it easier to become a fan. And then, of course, as a child, who wouldn't want to be influenced by Maddox Glav and Avery Smoltz? Now we're talking... Super Jones. I mean, now, now we're really geeking out. Let's get out of baseball and back into what everybody's here for. But thank you for asking. I'm ready for tonight. All right, check the show notes. Uh, we'll we'll update <laughs> we'll update this by the time it uh, releases next week. We'll see where we're at. So, my first official question to all of our guests, other than the baseball game, possibly on an AM FM, as the old school baseball guys do, what are you listening to right now? Uh, so, I have Spotify on. Every day when I am working in the background, I have one massive playlist, which is called All In. It's 1,200 different tracks made up of today's alt music, bands like Glass Animals, to 90s grunge alternative, to country, Eric Church, George Bentley, Brothers Osborne. And then I have a very special playlist, which you have a link to, of just all different live fish tracks. Another thing I'm outwardly transparent about, I have been a fan, P.H., through the mid-90s, I mean, you and I could geek out, but I, I would say I am a 1.0, 2.0 fan. Not not to nerd out now, but yes, the music is always on in the background. Podcast professionally as well. So we could go down the list, but I'm very involved in the HR community in the world of podcasts and literature as well. So off the top of your head, what's an HR podcast that you uh, that you love? I know they came up on the HR Social Hour chat the other day. Yeah, so there's... There's yours, there's HR Social Hour, there's HR Bytes, there's Work Life Without and Grant. Uh, my absolute favorite podcast out there is not really related to HR, but related to human behavior and psychology. Dr. Michael Gervais is a sports performance psychologist, and he has a podcast called Finding Mastery. I'm obsessed with it. I learn something about human behavior routinely. 
That is awesome. I will check that out. See, this is why I asked the question to get new info. Is it okay if on the show notes we share a couple links to some of those mixes on Spotify you made? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We're going to share some good music for you today. You know, it's, it's one of the things I liked was, so I've been a fish fan since the 90s, since high school in New Jersey, but it was always something I never talked about professionally, ever. The last thing I ever wanted anybody at work or my professional life to know was that I went to fish concerts and listened to fish. I was just, I, I put it in its own box and going on this, the community, I saw you have the kind of a secret symbol, the red donut or circle uh, emoji. And I saw you outwardly talking about it. And I see all this conversation about a whole person and being a whole person. And something really clicked to me. And I was like, hey, Tom, just be yourself in this community. Put yourself out there. Talk about things you really care about. They will accept you here. And that, I think, is uh, something I want to thank you for, which helped me connect the dots between just talking about the whole person and actually being a whole person myself. And then also just the community being is inclusive enough that everybody welcomes everybody, no matter what they're into. Um, and I love the music that gets shared, uh, especially on Fridays. I think you've been kicking that off, but uh, everyone's all over the place and everybody's okay with that. That's really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, so I get why you did what you did. There's, there's a lot of preconceived notions about the fish community, the dead, the deadheads. Just we don't want it to invade our professional lives, but I could tell you I've, been to more than my fair share of shows and there are nothing but sober people there as well. Think about the band and the transition they've made personally in their lives in drug culture to straight lace to almost ending the band falling apart. There's just so much to it. And then yes, just who we are. It's part of who I am. I like to try to bring my organic whole self at all times and why hide something that I'm really passionate about. Also like music is a great unifier. It is. I, I could think of a handful of songs and or lyrics that when you think about what you are going through, every song sounds different based on where your life is right now. Like, So uh, Chester Bennington from Linkin Park, go re-listen to those songs knowing that he is no longer walking this earth and killed himself. A lot of those songs sound very different. They sound like pleads for help. Right. Songs that Trey and the band puts out, like everything's right, makes you feel better that there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. You want to get dark? Like, why not just put on maze? Like, you'll never get out of this maze. Like, we're still in this thing. We're never going to get out of it. Or I never needed you more. Like, there's just so much to music. It's There's a reason, like, musical therapy is, is a real job. It's there. Uh, yeah. Maze, by the way, was my L-I-E official song for a long time. As you're a Long Islander, the Long Island Expressway, the world's longest parking lot. That was, uh, that was my song for it. But I, I, I think also in the conversation that, Early on, I learned a lot of leadership and human lessons um, from the band. You know, I read an article about egoless playing. And the only way they're able to do these big, long jams is that they all spent years perfecting not bringing their ego to the stage to where it truly isn't like, oh, here's my guitar solo. It's my chance to shine. There's none of that. It's everybody is an equal part of contributing. And I, for me, that was a huge lesson that I've taken to the workplace and every place I've been in leadership and every place I've not been in leadership. It really is about how can I add the absolute most value to this? And I don't care if I'm recognized. All I care about is that I'm making it a better place and that I'm learning and growing along with everybody else. Yeah. And, and product, some of the parts completely agree, completely agree. And and this hammers home in talent acquisition, like in talent acquisition and recruitment, we are at the will of so many other people saying, yes, 
The job seeker needs to say yes. The hiring manager needs to say yes. We're just there orchestrating the whole thing, trying to influence, trying to be seen and heard. Exactly what you're talking about with these leadership lessons. And I never thought of the band that way as well. So you gave me a whole new perspective right now on if you think about any show I have been to, like on any given track, you know in your brain historically who's going to bring it. Like you just know at some time, Mike Mm -hmm. is going to jump in there. At some point, it's Trey. And then you could hear the same song two nights later and someone else is the star of that song. You're absolutely right. You you gave me something a lot to go on here. I like this, Tom. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, perfect. So you mentioned something. Let's, Let's keep bringing this more kind of full circle into this recruiting. Baseline question I've never asked, always had. What's in between talent acquisition and recruiting? Is it just a vernacular or is there actually a difference in approaches here? Tom sees me, I am grinning. This is a very <laughs> controversial topic, depending on who you ask. I will give my opinion. Is it? I don't know that. I am not factual. I do have an opinion. A recruiter is open position, needs to be filled. I am recruiting for that position. Recruiting is part of being a talent acquisition partner. A talent acquisition partner follows off of the business model. They are an advisor. They absolutely have an influence on forecasting attrition to FMLA usage, to OT utilization, really advising a hiring manager who opens up three positions to come back and say, for you to fill these three positions, I'm going to need to put X amount of people in front of you. To put X amount of people in front of you, I'm going to need to talk to Y amount of people. For me to talk to Y amount of people, I need Q to apply and time to source. To hit that number, I'm going to need this amount of time. Based on this amount of time and you having three openings and your attrition and your current OT utilization and your FMLA and the unforeseen anything that let's call it like the Y factor, nothing we can even think of that's going to happen. Maybe we should change your three positions to five so you don't constantly keep digging out of this hole. A TA partner is a true business advisor. They, I think a strong TA partner could probably pretend or step in as that hiring manager and do that hiring manager's job for a day if they had. That's what I think the big difference is. The the recruiter is filling the job. The TA partner is also doing recruiting, but there's a lot more layers. I always suspected there was a difference, but I've never seen anybody actually say it. And whenever, I I love recruiters. And and I had Luttrell Toller on a couple episodes ago. He endeared me to recruiting, talent acquisition, to your space. I've always gravitated towards you folks. EB Love, you, Eastside Staff, and Laura uh, Mazzullo, like just some of my favorite people. I always like people in that space, but I'm always cautious. Like, do I put talent acquisition, TA? Like what? I actually don't know the nuances. So thank you. That actually was Yeah, really I mean, there's, a, there, there's a lot of people I am close to and friendly with that will tell you I am full of you know what, and <laughs> it all is BS. All, all we're doing is filling jobs. Like they're that's all fluff to make it sound better. There's, there's definitely a subsection of people in our world who say they just want it to sound nicer. So instead of calling it a headhunter, it became a recruiter. Instead of a recruiter, now it's a talent acquisition partner. So there's totally subsections. Just believe what you believe. That's it. The verbiage does kind of lead to your approach to it anyways. Like both my parents were in physical education. So if you call it gym class, my mom would lose her mind. She's like, no, gym is where we do it. 
it's physical education class because I'm teaching about the body. We're getting your heart rate up. We're stretching. We're teaching you habits that will help your overall wellness. We're talking about wellness. And listening to you talk about TA versus recruiting, it kind of all came back to my mom's diatribe of her space. And to me, it always, I didn't think either was wrong, but to me, it always said, this is what she brings to that space. And it's a lot more detailed than what most other folks do. So now I know what she's all about. Speaking of what we're all about, in my book, at least, you're famous. You've got all these quips, all these statements, and they're not these big, long, winding um, statements. You know, I, I saw on your bio the Jeffrey Shapiro mission statement, adapt, react, project, plan, implement, make mistakes, learn, repeat. You have so many of those type of uh, philosophies. Like, I, I attribute your presentation to that. Where does that come from? What, like, what, what drives that? Why do, you, why do you present in that way? And how do you come up with these different uh, statements? It's from a lot of failures. Yeah, I think it's, I, I'm, I'm hopeful everybody is understanding that no one is flawless. Everybody's going to fail at some point. I, I think a lot of recruiters and TA partners think about like when we write recruitment plans and we have a deadline, like to me for the early first half of my career, if you didn't deliver 100% of the deliverables at that deadline, you failed. In reality, you didn't fail. All we did was figure out how to get better the next time uh, as being a business partner, like a strong situation would be I have 30 FTEs that need to be delivered by February 1st. And when we get halfway through the project, if we're at December 15th and we're not at 15, the TA partner needs to wave that flag and say, Hey, we're actually behind schedule. Here's why, or we're ahead of schedule. And more often than not, that 30, we were wrong, and we hear from operations 30 now needs to be 45 because it's always a moving target. But if we don't have something we're working to, we can't track it, we can't fix it, we can't learn from it. So half of it is a lot of my failures. More than 50% of it is the brilliant people I have been lucky to work with and support. Again, I talk about it a lot. I come out of a rapid growth healthcare startup organization. So I was employee number 70 with my previous employer. When I left a mere five and a half years later, we were 3,700 people. And when I started, there was no chief human resources officer. There was me recruiting for staff and a partner of mine recruiting for all of the providers. And there was no HR department. And I-9s were on FaceTime with the VP of operations doing the paperwork. Could you show me your license? Could you show me your social security number? Just going a million miles an hour, doing what needed to be done, and then fixing it and making it better the next time around. So a lot of these things just come from experience and learning to embrace failure. I know on any given week, without using any names of my current team members, I, I know I have team members that will be like, yeah, great. I filled 15 positions this week, but they opened 18 more. The conversation is don't bring yourself in the red. So another thing I talk about is the drama triangle. Like, Don't get so down that 18 new positions opened up and lose sight of the fact that you just brought 15 new people to the organization. How many patients are we now going to see any given day, week, month, because of those 15 people? And I mean, if we really want to talk business, if you hired 15 of those people, how many patients are we seeing? How much money are we billing off of their license to professionally see these patients on any given day, week, month? And now look, you're really driving revenue for the organization. So that's another hot button issue that a lot of people like to say. Talent acquisition, human resources is not a revenue driving position. It absolutely is. We find the people who are treating our people. 
like I'm on, I'm on my soapbox, but all of these little quid bits are like, I love studying human behavior. I love quotes. It's just, it probably comes from my obsession with music lyrics as well, but it's all from life experiences and just failing a lot. You said something there that reminded me, I came up from this, I take these big jobs and I just jump in and figure it out. It's like, I get a little bit of training and I figured it out. And it sounds like, you know, obviously you had some training when you came in, but you just had to figure this, this scaling thing out as you go in tandem with the organization. Tell me about that intersection of we've grown a lot and we've trained ourselves a lot just on the job. And that's important. Everyone should be evolving themselves on the job. But where do you see that intersection of training provided by an organization and then the ability to learn on the job as you're onboarding? Because I feel like back in the day, it was a lot of figure it out. And now it's everything has to be trained. Um, do you think there's, is it all have to be official as no. we're hearing about today? No, so I, I, I actually use a very hybrid method. So figure it out and support. So I, I think a big miss in my world, recruiting, is a lot of people don't actually train their recruiters. So I cannot take credit for this. This is totally a Tim Sackett thing. I am known to have my recruiters interview me. I will also audit screening notes. So on any random day or week, any one of my TA partners knows I might reach out to them and say, pick a resume, send it to me and reach out to me and interview me as if I am that person. I am gonna role play. And let's, at the end of it, talk about the interview. Where are our areas of opportunity? Where were we really good? What are our things that we wanna work on? And more importantly, I come out of operations, like before I was in recruiting, I was in healthcare operations. Now I wanna look at your screening notes because I could read it the way a hiring manager would. And if I have questions for you, we need to start figuring out why we're not answering those questions before we submit it. That comes with the anticipation of customer needs. Like I, I know for sure in the world of healthcare, 100% of my hiring managers want to know whatever the job seeker is, whatever the job title is, what type of patient volume is this person accustomed to dealing with? Because you can't let somebody skate on saying, I work in a busy office. Busy is arbitrary. Yep. Busy could mean 20 to one person. Busy to us could mean 120. And now on top of that, the next thing is on top of just the daily patient volume, let's gig. How many colleagues did you have in your role? Because here, here's the example of what I'm talking about. If you have 100 patients per day and four people have that one job, you could estimate that that one person could handle 25 patients per day. Now, if I meet a candidate who's in an office seeing 50 patients per day and I didn't go deeper, 50 patients per day doesn't sound like a good fit for me compared to the 100 patient per day experience. But the 50 patient per day person is the only person in their department. They're seeing all 50 patients by themselves. So now I know that this person is going to be able to handle my busy setting. Because again, busy is arbitrary, but I yep. know we are, my company is the largest outpatient based provider of diagnostic imaging. We do 5% of this country's mammo screenings. Wow. That is, we are the number one, if, if a female is having a, a mammogram, it is more than likely coming from my company because we are just the number one provider. So busy to us is very different than somebody else, which is why we get so granular. So that's part of like the ongoing training. We need to support our people to get better at what they do. Onboarding experiences like, so TA, we typically will hold somebody's hand till they walk through the door on their first day. Once they're on the payroll, it becomes the pass off to human resources. But that new hire doesn't know their human resources people. They don't know their employee relations. They know the recruiter. 
So they are constantly calling their recruiter or TA partner in their first two or three weeks with issues, with problems, with questions. Yep. It's on us to give the person going back to one of the things we spoke about earlier, customer service. I, the TA partner, should not be telling this new hire that I worked on, sorry, I can't help you. You need to talk to Bill in HR. I should be picking up the phone with you on it, connecting you to Bill and explaining. So now you know next time where to go. So these are the types of trainings that are customer service driven. Ongoing job training. I do think a lot of individual contributors don't know or are too shy to just say, hey, manager, this thing is happening that might make me better at my job. I would like permission to go to that and expense it. I think a lot of people just wait for managers to approach them and say, hey, Tom, here's a seminar I think you should go to. And yes, that manager should do that. Here are some things that are going on that will make you better at what you do. But I do think the actual individual needs some accountability. So when I am meeting with my team all the time, yesterday we had a, we had a team meeting and part of what we spoke about is, hey team, tell me, where are you going to consume content? Where do you go to stay current with the world of recruiting? Where are you going to stay current with HR? Where are you going to stay current in the world of radiology? I'm leading the horse to water. I'm waiting to see who says what. Does anybody have any similar podcasts to I listen to? Did anybody read a book that I went to? Is anybody using a hashtag? What don't I know that they're doing? And then at the end, it's on a big whiteboard, I'll go and add some things. And then like the aha winning moment for me is when I'm done and I turn around, almost 80% of the team has their phone out and they're taking pictures of the whiteboard. Because now yeah, great. like somebody wants to go listen to something. So that's where like we do need to support them, but the actual individual contributor, the team member, also needs to be able to speak up and say, I want to get better at what I do, at what I'm doing. How do I do that? Can you help me do that? And that leader should be having conversations with their first team member. Where do you want to go in your career? How can I help you support? How can I support you? What type of projects can I get you involved in to make up the skill gap? Totally agree there needs to be that personal ownership. But I also think the organization needs to have that flexibility to support that ownership um, and also have a system in place. Um, it, it, in my current organization, People Element, I went and said, I don't know. I want to know more about just the base HR space. And here's three sites I found. Can I sign up for one of them? And our CEO was like, yep, absolutely. Go and do it. And it has been so valuable to me, the learning, but also so valuable to me, the connection to the company, just knowing I didn't have to like fight for it. They went, no, this is good for you. Good for you bringing that. We're going to go ahead and reward you. Yeah. So learning and connection to company, super easy, cost any company, nothing in terms of money, just time is an internal mentorship program. Why wouldn't you want to do that? And you start with whatever, depending on the size of the company, you might want to do managers hire, you might want to do directors hire, but all those people get a baseline learning and then they are official mentors. And then you start having your mentees. And when a mentee finishes the mentorship program, you now have more mentors at your disposal. And if you're really, really strong, you work interdepartments. So people get a better business knowledge. Like one of my greatest mentors was worked at the same company as I did, was not in my department and was our chief general counsel. And anytime I was working on something, I, I still remember her phrasing and she picked it up from her mentor. It's time to bring out the ruler. And she told me what bringing out the ruler meant, because as an attorney, every word, every line means something. So in a document, you would print it and you put a ruler and almost like a kid learning to read, just block out everything else and look at that one line with the ruler 
and move down to the next? Is there any rephrasing? Do you need to strike any words? Like that was one of the biggest things working on proposals and presenting data to C-suite leaderships. It was always in my brain. It's break out the ruler. Am I answering all the questions that I know they're going to ask? Last time I sent it in this format, three people asked me this question. I'm going to answer that question now, knowing that they're about to ask it. Let me update it. That ruler really helped me figure out and tweak. Instead of forcing my audience to adjust to what I'm accustomed to, let's get used to the way they want it. Like, I love pivot tables. I am a pivot table junkie. Love them, could look at them and work with them all day. Some of my audience could not stand it. They would prefer just the narrative in a paragraph form. Another half of my audience would rather have a bar graph. Another one would rather have it in PowerPoint with pictures. It's just learning who your audience is. And we totally segued from supporting people, but to go backwards, supporting people, free, easy, not hard to set up a mentorship program. You connected the dots on something that Josh Burson said at HR Tech Conference was that learning and development is essentially bolting on to recruitment. And I didn't totally understand how or what or, or where that meant. So actually, you accidentally answered a question I've had for three weeks uh, in that answer. So thank you. Another thing I just want to know how much I appreciate is just your connection to everything to the consumer client experience. Um, I'm an employee engagement world and connecting the dots between your employees being engaged and, uh, and your customers having a great experience. There's a direct connection to that. I absolutely love that. I don't hear enough people in talent acquisition and uh, HR talking about that and further talking about how it is a profit center. Yes, you can create. Yes, you do create uh, revenue for the organization. So two great pieces uh, I don't hear a lot about. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll jump right back in and get Jeff's thoughts on this topic in a little more detail. All right, time for HR Hot Sauce with Jeffrey Shapiro. Jeff, are you ready? Ready to go. All right, let's do it. What is the best job you've ever had? Best job I've ever had. Bartending. College bar. Literally across the street from the main campus at Hofstra University. Best job I've ever had. That is awesome. I almost went to Hofstra, too. Uh, What's the one phrase at work that drives you nuts? One? I'm only allowed to pick one. Um, Just one. I, I sent an email, but I, I sent, sent an, email. an email. Yeah, that's brutal. Uh, do you like working on rainy or sunny days? Both. I'm, I'm, I'm probably more productive on our rainy day because I don't like taking the dog out in the rain and then having to dry her off and then change my wet clothes. So I'm probably more productive on a sunny day because I'm not out as much. That's exactly what I had in my head when I made that question up. So yeah. we're aligned. What can someone do at work to make your day? Um, I, I'm super customer service driven. So I do not like when someone says, you need to contact Bill. I would rather somebody pick up the phone with me and loop in Bill immediately or reply to the email, including Bill. It, it's um, the way I was trained is you call it like the Disney experience. In Disney, if you go up to anybody that works there and ask them where the bathroom is, they're walking you there. When you go to Target and ask somebody where the bathroom is, they're pointing to the back corner. It's, it's really just going above and beyond. Trust me, sir. Great, great, great answer. Best useless skill. Best useless skill. If it's a skill, is it really useless? I don't really know. Um, I am... I have to change this question. You're the second person I'm that's overly, that. <laughs> 
overly meticulous and I find it useful. To my wife, it is useless. To the people on my teams that I work with, collaborate with, I probably annoy them with how meticulous they are. Mild, medium, hot, or nuclear? Do we go like hot nuclear, right? A hybrid? I usually put two sauces on. I'll accept that. Okay. Favorite interview question to ask or be asked? Oh, my favorite interview question to ask is one I've used from when I first started recruiting. I, I share this with every candidate at every interview. I close every interview the same way from the beginning of time. And it's a very simple question of, in preparing for the interview, what were you hoping that I would ask that I didn't get to? And if the job seeker doesn't realize this, they inadvertently set themselves up to tell me the question and then answer it as well. And I close every interview that way from the beginning of time. All right, that's the HR hot sauce. Hopefully it didn't burn. Let's get back to the easy conversation, Jeff. All right, welcome back. Jeff, what are your thoughts? Probably TA is not that focused on I would say that's a big miss. Like we are here to determine if that person that we are interviewing going to give the experience. Everybody has customers. Whatever business you're in, you have a customer. The main role of that TA partner is is it my is it worth my hiring manager's time for this person to meet them? Do they meet the minimal requirements for the role? Do they possess the knowledge, skills, and ability. But the one thing that I will go deeper and deeper on is will this person represent the again, patients, so patients are our customers, the customer experience that we are hoping for. Is this person going to be a good brand ambassador of the organization? If they are doing an ultrasound, an MRI or CT or an X-ray, whatever it is, radiography, are they giving that experience that that customer is now going to be, I also come out of an NPS score, like are they going to be a negative detractor or are they a brand ambassador as a now customer? Are they going out and actively telling their friends family members and neighbors about the great experience they had, or are they running right to Yelp and saying how horrible it was? And that's the one thing that my team needs to be home run on. If I'm putting this person in front of you, manager, they are going to give you a stellar customer experience. It is on you, manager, to figure out if they have the technical skills, the clinical skills to do the job with the proper quality of imaging. I can't tell you if this person's gonna get the right positioning and imaging, I couldn't even pretend to do that. But I can tell you if that patient's gonna have a great time doing, a great time at their visit or not. I came out of, I used to run hotels and I used to run high-end athletic clubs. And I turned around one of the lowest performing clubs uh, in Orange County, uh, California, 100,000 square foot club, huge club. And we turned it around because I stopped hiring people that used to work at other clubs. I hired people not off their resume experience. I hired people off of, are you coachable? Are you positive? Are you energetic? Do you bring it every single day? And those were lessons I had to learn on my own. I kind of accidentally stumbled into it um, just because I really liked somebody and realized what I liked about them. I, I could find those same qualities elsewhere. So I think that's a really important way to kind of look at. We're totally nerding out on talent acquisition now. Like, cause it, I would say organization, hiring organization, you are the experts in that skill. It is on you to get the person that skill that they don't have. If they're missing the skill gap, but they're going to dazzle on behaviors and deliver on core values and execute on the mission and the vision, hire them. You shouldn't say, I can't hire this person because I can't train them. If you can't train them on the actual hard skills and you're letting, you're passing up on them, you're passing up on somebody that's going to be gaining you a lot of customers. 
It, it's very short-sighted thinking, which which is why like I am all about making sure that mission, vision, and values are just not fancy words. They actually have meanings. They have definitions on what they look like and on the opposite side, what they do not look like as well. And this conversation is exactly why I am doing this podcast. I'm genuinely learning about talent acquisition versus recruiting by our definition on this particular episode. But at the same time, for me personally, I'm expanding how I look at this and how I understand the conversations that I'm seeing uh, from afar. So this is awesome. I want to talk about HR on the house before we get out of here because I listened to that on Fridays. I love it. And my goal is to have everyone from HR on the house on this podcast because I love everybody. It's such an awesome mix. But before we get there, we're always talking about retention and keeping people. And then there's the great resignation. There's a a lot of opinions about. But in talent acquisition, you uniquely have the ability to talk to people that are either trying to leave their job or just left their job. And everyone's saying they're doing this or they're doing why. But I feel like you have the ability to put some data and, so, and some perspective on this. What are you hearing why people are leaving or are left or have left their positions? Okay, so I'm leaving. I'm leaving my political affiliation, stance, vaccination status out of all of this. But a very hot Thank button you. issue <laughs> in the world of healthcare right now. I would say, like, I, I can't even quantify. I couldn't give you a percentage, but a very large portion of job seekers are asking our TA partners, our company stance on vaccination. There are, and it's on both sides. I don't want to work for a company that doesn't require vaccinations, and I will not work for a company that requires vaccinations. That is a big thing right now, people that are job seeking. Benefits are huge right now. Um, Another one we are hearing is my position went remote because of the pandemic. Now they're calling everybody back to the office, but my leader keeps telling me I'm more productive now than I ever have been, but I'm not allowed to stay at home. That's that's a huge one right now as well. Um, Wow, interesting. There's, so the number Makes one, sense. the number one thing job seekers are looking for right now is flexibility. Like compensation, of course, people are money motivated. All the difference between a job and a hobby. Like we all do this for money to support our families, to support the lives that we want. This is not who we are. Like that's a whole other conversation we can have on our work is not our work, etc. But clearly, you want to be paid equitably. You want to have a strong benefits offering, total rewards. PTO package, medical, dental, vision, all everything we talk about. But what the job seeker is really looking for is what is your vaccination status and are you going to be flexible with me? And there is a lot of fear from job seekers. Like you hear it a lot. Like I don't want to leave because right now I've been here for X amount of time. So I know if I need to leave in the middle of a day, it's okay. I, that, that's one of the reasons I want to stay. I'm comfortable here. I've built up my reputation where if I need to leave halfway through the day for something that goes on in my personal life, my home, I'm not going to get any backlash. But in reality, if the employer is going to be flexible, it shouldn't matter if you're on day one, day 30, year one, year 10. If something happens in your personal life and you can't go address it, it's going to impact your work. So again, employers need to be flexible. Compensation, of course, is a big one. Vaccination status. And what is your plan for me? So I, I think... The big switch that everybody keeps talking about, like we're working on it right now, job descriptions, the standard job posting in the world of work is opening paragraph as the name of the job title and selling on why you want to work for this organization. 
is something about the organization that they feel they are great at is usually in that first paragraph. That job yep. seeker doesn't care about the organization. The way to adjust is flip everything that used to be on the bottom and put it on the top. What's in it for me? What is in it for me? Because you are lucky if you get three to five years out of people now. It is no longer, hey, this is the company I'm going to build my career on. I'm going to be here for 20 years. Most people are taking a job, thinking of it as a way to get to their next job. I don't remember where it was, but I read something like all your big tech companies, Amazon, Google, Facebook, like their average is three years and then you're gone. You did something, you put it on your resume, you're going somewhere else to get some equity because you could put those big names on your resume. Healthcare is very different. I get that. But usually what everybody wants to do is perfect your why. And the why is going to be very different based on everybody and where they are in their career level. Some people are like the the book, Radical Candor, the difference between a rock star and a superstar. Some people are very happy and really good at being a rock star independent contributor. They don't want that career progression that skyrockets like a superstar. So knowing your why for that one particular person is really important. So now I'm going to use a word that's very controversial, profiling. I have to tell you, we absolutely need to be profiling our current talent to figure out everybody's why. I need to profile, where is my retention coming from? Where, like, so in a former job, we found out, this was really, really painful. This is why I'm so data-driven. In a former job, we found out that roughly 60 to 65% of our hires were what you call entry level, zero to three years of experience. Amazing. We're hiring 60 to 65% of our people. We are attractive. We are attractive to those people. But we also found out that a good 80% of our attrition in under one year were those same people. So our entire recruitment strategy had to switch. We don't want to spend that much time on bringing in the zero to three-year people because they're gone in under a year. All they're doing is adding us to the resume to say, hey, I just graduated. I got a job. I got some training. Now I could go work here. We had to totally shift our recruitment strategy. And all that comes from profiling. Just profiling what people's whys are. Like in the world of healthcare, I know if somebody's been working in a hospital for 10 to 15 years, they're a tough sell, but the overwhelming way you are going to get them is you're giving back to your community. You're working where you live. You're going to have flexibility. You are not stuck on that first second, that first second or third shift that you had. You don't have to take call. You don't have to worry about giving me two weekends per month. We're just going to be flexible with you. Like figuring out what everybody is in was in it for. Based on where they are in their career level, they're looking for something different. Somebody at the two to three to four year has probably perfected that one skill that they graduated with. They're now looking to do a little more. And in healthcare, that's great, especially imaging. You shot x-ray for three years. You want to take the next step. Why don't we internally cross-train you on CT or MRI? Like, let's help you get there. Then we'll help you go past your registry. Now you're an MRI tech. Do that here. Like career progression, that's a huge thing. And this all comes from... That nasty, nasty word that people think is negative that can be a positive. Profiling. That's that's all it is. And that's it. I'm going to have to do a whole show on this because this is something that it, it connects with growth and development. It connects with recruiting, talent acquisition, does all this work to get people into these roles. But what are you doing to get them to grow within the organization? And it's so much less money to do that. You cut down on turnover. You cut down on Hiring again, you cut, you keep that knowledge that you just invested in growing in-house. And I'm really intrigued by how organizations done that. Maybe if I haven't missed that episode, be a good HR on the house uh, talking point. 
So we, the, the only thing I know is we, we're somewhat, <laughs> we somewhat are planning for the internal application slash interview process and why it sucks. There we go. All right, good. See, I, I'm now trying to be a producer for your show. I, I, I digress my thought. I, I want to kind of come back full circle to the community and give into the community where we started, which is what brought us together. But what's the intention of HR on the house and how did that all come together? Part, partially thank you to the pandemic. So we are global. Tracy is up in New Hampshire. I'm in New York. Francisco's in Spain. Nikki is just outside of Manchester. So we are across the world. Um, essentially what we wanted to do is just something that didn't need to be scripted, something that was easy to do while you're in the middle of eating lunch or for me, like walking the dog. I don't need to be in front of a camera, be recorded. It's just off the cuff, live conversations. And it was really just what is happening in our community. Let's talk about it. Let's all share. And then as it picked up steam, like we embraced our own vulnerability and started reaching out to some of the bigger names, the people that we look up to and asking them to be on the show. And like, amazingly, Steve Brown has joined us. Lars Schmidt has joined us. Lori Rudiman has joined us. Like on and on, the amount of amazing guests that we have had, people that I thought I would never be able to talk to, let alone go back to what you and I were originally talking about. I was just a lurker fanboy of these people, learning from them from a distance because I had to, because I was in a startup, because I didn't have anybody to look up to because I was on my own. It totally became a, a passion project. We are quietly thinking about moving it and exploring with using like Twitter spaces or a LinkedIn live. I prefer, and I think it's because Clubhouse is probably losing steam. We knew that bubble would burst. We don't want to stop right. doing it because we love it. But I like the idea of I don't need to be on camera. I could have my headphones on and I could be out on a walk with the dog. Nikki could be finishing up whatever she's doing. Francisco did it from a beach in Portugal when he was on vacation. Like, it's just easier to do it live audio only, but people are gathering again. HR Tech happened, Sherm happened, ERE happened, SourceCon happened, like conferences are happening again. So I think people are getting more comfortable to gatherings. So we may just have to keep and start doing video live, having chat threads. So there's more to it, but the origin was just, hey, the four of us are all in the world of HR. The four of us are in four different spaces in HR. We are very like-minded. We have very similar values, very different experiences from the industries we work in to where we are career level. Like Tracy's a C-level, Nikki's a founder, Francisco's a founder, like they own their own companies. And I'm coming out of agency and in corporate. So it really was just embrace what Lars, people like Lars have started open source and just start talking, sharing, trying to get other people to realize it's okay to talk about things. For the record, the only reason I have Clubhouse is to listen to that um, and, uh, well, on Fridays. You. So uh, I don't know you. if that helps your decision of where you're going to go, but uh, the only thing I have Clubhouse for is HR on the house. And the only reason I do that and the only reason I do this is so I can learn contribute to the communities that I'm in, to give back to the communities I'm in, but really to learn from the communities. I'm, I'm kind of taking from these communities via these conversations um, and hopefully uh, sharing them back out for other folks that are out there listening that want to jump in the discussion. But that's themselves. the intent. Like that, that's exactly what we're hoping to do. Somebody learns something and brings it to their organization. We slowly but surely, this is that uh, the be the ripple on Twitter. Like yep. I could tell you Love at it. first, I had a, I can almost remember the conversation, so I'll paraphrase, but 
I was talking to Laura Mazzullo, who most people know in this world, but Eastside Staffing on Twitter. She's everywhere. You should absolutely follow her. Great human. And I absolutely at one point I was so negative. I was so down. I remember saying to her something like, it's great we all found each other, which is really affirming. But if you think about our industry and all of HR, all the people who have found each other are like a drop of water in the ocean. How are we going to do anything? Like, it's great that we all believe this, but in reality, it's falling on deaf ears. And really, if you just give up right there instead of just impact one, impact one, one person learns something, that's where like that be the ripple. Like my driving factor on why I'm so dedicated to making myself available every Friday at noon is all I am hoping is some point, all we are doing is making the world of work better for future generations. My kids end up working somewhere in corporate America that actually care about their them as a human being, their mental health. Imagine a world where instead of having to fake calling out being sick, we normalize the fact that I'm going to call out sad today. Like that. Imagine calling your manager today in 2021 saying, can't come to work, I'm sad. If that becomes normalized and accepted, like everything we are doing right now is worth it. That's all it is. I guarantee my CEO would be like, all right, we'll see you tomorrow. Feel better. Let me know how I can help. And that those are the places you got to work. Yep. Yep. I, I appreciate your ripple. Appreciate your time, uh, Jeff. This is this has been awesome. So much fun. We've covered a ton of ground. Hopefully you'll come back. We can dig in. I'll see you Friday uh, at, was it noon Eastern? Noon Eastern, yep. I have an alert that buzzes me and then I log in. I don't even know what time it happens. Uh, see you Friday or hear you Friday, noon Eastern, on HR on the house. This has been awesome. I'll see you on Twitter. Everybody follow the hashtag HR community. We are all about HR. Find us on Spotify on Podbean, and on Twitter. That said, we'll see you next time. Have a great afternoon. Understand, engage, inspire, and retain your people like never before. People Element's employee experience and engagement solution delivers powerful intelligence, giving you the confidence to act. To learn how you can gain a better understanding of your employees, please visit us at peopleelement.com.